for listening to a podcast from The National. Is hope on the horizon for Iraq? Reconstruction is on the agenda this week in Kuwait, where 70 countries and thousands of companies are presented with opportunities in the rebuilding of the war-torn country. Violence in Iraq has left the government to handle a crippled economy and infrastructure. There are 3 million internally displaced Iraqis. Any reconstruction plans have stalled due to the years of corruption, occupation, insurgency and sectarian struggle. That was all before the rise of ISIL in 2014. But in a historic turn, an international conference opened in Kuwait this week in hopes of rebuilding and securing the country from renewed violence. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Mina el and this week we are looking at Iraqi reconstruction. With Western powers suffering from donor fatigue after years of turmoil in the region, hopes are resting on Gulf Arab states to step forward for Iraq. But before looking at reconstruction, one question remains. Is Iraq safe? U.S. officials have raised concern that ISIL's threat remains in the country. Dr. Rinad Mansour is currently in Iraq. He is their senior research fellow at London's Chatham House. He says yes, it is safe, and that reconstruction is pivotal in the fight against ISIL. Well, I think, you know, we need to take uh, this, you know, the victory over ISIS with a grain of salt, of course. Um, you know, this territorial control has been eradicated, which means that it's no longer governing um, parts of, you know, you know, up to one side of Iraq, which it was doing uh, in, in 2014. So, uh, there, there, I mean, it, it has lost territorial control, but, you know, as, as the statement clearly points out, it's not the end of the organization, which has gone underground, has changed its structure. So, in terms of rebuilding, yes. I think that rebuilding um, is, is, is fundamental to addressing kind of the, the roots that lead, lead to groups like ISIS reemerging. Um, but it's a special, it's a specific type of rebuilding. Um, throwing money in, in a top-down approach, in a top-down way, isn't the solution. When we talk about rebuilding, when we talk about reconstruction, it has to be um, given, it has to be pursued at the same time as, as establishing sort of good governance, as establishing local uh, bodies that are representative of the of the citizen. It's about, you know, decreasing the gap between the citizen and the elite, right? you know, working on issues like corruption. So certainly rebuilding and reconstruction is part of the longer-term strategy of really removing the roots that lead to ISIS, but the approaches that have been uh, pursued in the past hasn't necessarily, hasn't led to that outcome. Right, you you touched on um, corruption. I mean, uh, Iraq's volatile security and widespread corruption has driven foreign businesses from investing um, in the country. What can be done to eliminate the issue of, of corruption? Yeah, I mean, this is the big question. Um, and it seems, as, as, as it's quite clear in the last two days um, in, in the conference in Kuwait, that nobody really either has a solution to this question or even an, an, an idea that actually it is possible. There's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of skepticism that Iraq, a rentier state that you know relies predominantly on oil uh, for, for, for its uh, revenue, for its resource, you know, 
um, coupled by by a elite that has really been the same elite since 2003, not willing to kind of either give up on their power or or allow for new political movements to emerge. Whether that elite, the same elite that's been part of the problem, should be part of the solution, and this is the big question. Um, so this is why many of the sort of international investors, let's say whether it's private or or international organizations, that they kind of have a have doubts. Um, of having the same type of leaders coming and saying, we will now tackle corruption. Um, so it, it, it's a tall ask. It's a very difficult ask, um, part, partly because the structure is so weak in Iraq that it allows for many of, you know, allows for corruption to become endemic, to become almost, you know, as part of the, the, the system. So it's a difficult ask. But, it, you know, the most important sort of progress, I think, that's been made in Iraq in the last few years particularly, has been that more and more of the citizens, Iraqis I mean, are, are saying that corruption is the biggest issue, not sectarianism, not even security, but that corruption is being perceived by the population here in Iraq as the, the biggest problem uh, that they face. Mm. Let's hypothetically say that Iraq uh, raises the hundred billion uh, dollars that that it's seeking to get in funds from from this conference. What's going to happen after? I mean, what what are the next steps that Baghdad should be should should take once uh, once this meeting um, concludes? I mean, in, a, in an idea in an ideal world, uh, what, whether they re- they re- uh, you know receive what they want, whether they reach their objectives or not. There needs to be, I mean, there are elections coming up. There will be a new government formed after the elections. Um, whatever that government is, corruption needs to be first on the agenda. And there needs to be a sort of a campaign uh, to push on corruption. The problem until now is corruption has been used by the elite to target each other rather than to fix the system as such. Um And, and that's partly why the skepticism by the international donors and investors is, is there. So Iraq, I mean, Iraq is, is, walk, is sort of talking, the, well, can you say talking the talk right now? But what really there needs to be is to walk the walk as well, as they say. And there needs to be certain things done from the prime minister's office and from the different ministries and different government bodies. There are independent commissions as well. The Integrity Commission particularly needs to have more of an active role on this to, to, to move forward And, and, and at least stop the already the corruption that's continuing, let alone go back and look at you know, what, what the problems have been in the past. What about the humanitarian side of the reconstruction efforts? Juliet Tuma, UNICEF's Regional Chief of Communications in the Middle East and North Africa, is in Kuwait participating in the conference. She told us about the challenges that Iraqi children are currently facing. So what we know right now is that in Iraq, there are at least 4 million children who need humanitarian assistance. Um, This is as a direct result of the conflict and the violence over the past three plus years. Um, But it's also um, as a result of deprivation, of poverty, of neglect to um, maintenance to basic infrastructure, including education and health. For UNICEF, why is the Kuwait conference so important for rebuilding Iraq? And what does the organization hope that this conference will be able to achieve? This conference is not only important, it's fundamental in the history of Iraq. Um, because what Iraq needs right now is an investment in its 
children. Um, if we do not, as a humanitarian, international, and global community, including the private sector uh, and the government of, of Iraq, if all of these bodies do not invest in children in Iraq right now, the likelihood of the violence repeating itself and going back to the nightmare uh, of the cycles of violence are very, very high. This is why it's absolutely crucial that everyone puts... Um, Children first, prioritizes children, invest in education, especially invest in health, invest in reconciliation and restitching the, the torn social fabric, uh, restitching it together, um, working on diversity and going back to accepting the other uh, for communities to live together, um, because that's the only thing that hold communities together and that's the only thing that will guarantee that violence won't come back so very fundamental and such crucial timing yes i mean you you've said the unicef has announced that there's four million children in need in iraq um can we just elaborate on what's going to happen if um if iraq doesn't get the funding that it's pledging for in this conference i mean how important is it i really want to stress on this point that Iraq needs to get the funds that it's been pledging for. I mean, can you just elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure. I can't speak for other bodies or organizations, mm. but what I tell you is that UNICEF needs for its programs all over Iraq this year $180 million. This will allow us to build new schools. This will allow us to uh, provide children with, with school books. This will allow us to vaccinate millions of children across the country will allow us to work in, in water infrastructure and also will allow us to, to, to work in an area that is not very much spoken about, uh, not enough to, to, to our taste, and that is provide psychosocial support to children, especially those children impacted by violence. So it's a package of assistance that we do hope to give to um, to, to, to Iraqi children if we get the funding um, for 2018. But what's really equally crucial for UNICEF is to um, work with the government of Iraq uh, to allocate, um, through its budget, um, allocations for children. Uh, so uh, increase the, the, the budget that is normally allocated for education, increase the budget that is normally allocated for health. These are two fundamental areas that the government of Iraq needs to really invest in because they direct, directly impact children and their future. And the future of Iraq, the future of this country, relies heavily on the children right now. And if we don't invest in children now, we risk as a global community to have a lost generation in Iraq and no one, no one can afford that to happen. No, absolutely. The president of the Iraqi Reconstruction Fund, uh, Mustafa Al-Hiti, has said that the reconstruction is not just a process of building walls, but it's a human dimension that must be taken into consideration. I mean, has UNICEF um, been, been sort of um, uh, pledging for this throughout this uh, conference? And also, what's been your expectations so far of the conference? Are you quite <clears throat> happy with, 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 uh, with the outcome so far? Or is UNICEF going to be pushing for more uh, pledges and more awareness uh, for children in need? 
Well, what we want out of this conference is a commitment from all the participants here, uh, from all heads of state, from the government of Iraq, um, from the Gulf countries, um, from the private sector, a commitment to to put children of Iraq first. Mm. That's what we are hoping to achieve. And what this means in, in real life is more funding for children, more funding for organizations like UNICEF and our partners, because we're not alone in the field, um, so that we are able to help children get back to school. I mean, look, there are over 3 million children in the country who do not go to school on a regular basis. Some have never been to school. Um, half of the schools in Iraq uh, need to be rebuilt and, and refurbished um, because they were damaged, some were completely destroyed during the war. So the needs, the, the, the acute, immediate needs in one sector, which is education, and there are other sectors as well with, 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 with similar needs, um, the needs are huge. Yeah. And also, what, what, are, what are the main areas, where are the main areas in Iraq that UNICEF will be focusing the most on? Would you say it's Mosul or the, or the south of Iraq or the whole of Iraq in general? Now, we're hoping to get this funding so that we are able to implement projects and programs across the country. Mm. Uh, the needs are huge wherever you look. Um, in the south, for example, where we are heading uh, um, as UNICEF, we're going to visit tomorrow uh, in Basra. The, the, the deprivations and, and the levels of poverty are the highest in the country. Mm. And so the, the, with that comes come huge needs, huge needs to invest, huge needs to rebuild and and this is why it's absolutely crucial that this funding comes so that we're able to disperse across the country and not in one geographic area, not another. Right. And I mean, uh, like you said, we need to uh, UNICEF and, and it's a collective effort from the international uh, community to help Iraq. For UNICEF, I mean, what is the main underlining point that is needed uh, for Iraq to move forward, for Iraq to move past its humanitarian catastrophe and the wars and, and, and the devastation that it's been through for decades. So what we're asking for is a commitment from the global community that includes the international community, the humanitarian community, the private sector, the heads of state. We, we're asking all of these organizations and bodies to prioritize children, to put children first and to invest in children. Because like I said, if we do not invest in the children of Iraq right now, the cycles of violence are likely to repeat themselves. And no one, no one can afford this to happen again. So let's take a look at the Iraqi Reconstruction Conference in Kuwait. Dr. Fanar Haddad is a senior research fellow at the Middle East Institute of the National University of Singapore, where he is closely following this week's developments. So I'd like to start by asking you what exactly is happening at the moment in Kuwait during this conference? I mean, what does Iraq hope to get out of this three-day conference? Well, I think Iraq uh, hopes to get a much-needed lifeline out of this conference because if you look at the um, financial and fiscal situation in Iraq over the last year and more, really, and looking into the future, Iraq really does not have any money. Uh, to finance its own reconstruction. And, uh, you know, there's no exaggerating the amount of devastation that Iraq has uh, has uh, gone through over the last three years, and more broadly since 2003. 
Um, so this money needs to be, uh, I mean, this conference is, is as I said, uh, looked upon as sort of the lifeline for Iraq going forward. Uh, the target, the target, as I understand it, is about $100 billion. Uh, and so far, only about $320 million, uh, has been pledged. So that's really a drop in the ocean. It's it's quite symbolic that Kuwait is hosting this conference 28 years after Saddam Hussein invaded uh, the country. Do you think that reconciliation is crucial to consider along with reconstruction? Absolutely. Uh, and I'd also say something about Kuwait. It really is quite heartening uh, to see this taking place in Kuwait. Uh, likewise, it's it's uh, very encouraging to see that uh, despite the troubled history, uh, most of the or about half of what's been pledged so far has been from Kuwaiti NGOs. Um, so there is that investment in, in, in Iraq and its future. And this also, of course, ties into a broader dynamic in the region that's seeing Iraq being more, um, shall we say, uh, accepted uh, within the regional fold or brought back into the regional fold, phrase it how you will. Um, but there's, uh, we can say that post-2003, Iraq is more at peace with its neighbors than at any time since 2003, where there was, unfortunately, uh, resistance uh, in the region to uh, the realities of post-2003 Iraq. Um, whereas today we're seeing uh, uh, all major actors in the region expressing a willingness to uh, invest in, in uh, Iraq's future, to invest in the stability of Iraq, and to see their interests through the prism of a more stable Iraq. Uh, and so fewer powers are, act, are prepared to act as spoilers. And that's something we see in this in this uh, uh, conference in, in Kuwait. It's something we see in the improved relations between Iraq and Kuwait. And of course, more so and more remarkably uh, in, the, in the improved relations with, with uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, you mentioned reconstruction, uh, I beg your pardon, reconciliation. Uh, you mentioned reconciliation. So that's on the regional level. Uh, of course, internally within Iraq itself, it can't just be about rebuilding bridges and rebuilding uh, infrastructure. It's also about recon uh, reconciliation and rebuilding societies and rebuilding communities. Um, and I think that just as uh, uh, Iraq, uh, it's, it's very good that Iraq is, is at peace with its neighbors, so to speak. Iraq also needs to be at peace internally. And that's a, a whole different challenge that goes beyond just the, the question of raising funds. Yeah, I mean, Baghdad's central government is, is faced with many significant challenges, such as corruption, as well as combating terrorism. Um, and there's going to be elections held in May coming up. I mean, can this conference become a success or the outcome of it, let's say, become a success with these issues looming in the background? To be honest with you, I'm. I mean, there's there is a lot of room for skepticism. Uh, I mean, th whatever funds raised could end up going to just basically bankrolling a, a dysfunctional system. There is that risk, uh, and indeed, uh, it remains to be seen what the main donors will come up with, what they will pledge. Because so far, as I understand, there was, it was only the NGOs who, who had a round of. Um, who, uh, who pledged uh, funds to Iraq, and later on today, I believe, we'll see what the um, what the main state donors will, will come up with. Uh, but there are fears about how this how these funds will be used, how much of it will fall to corruption. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no need, to, uh, as is well known, uh, uh, corruption pervades 
every level of, of Iraqi state and society. And um, there's also issues relating to Iraq's capacity to adequately distribute these funds and absorb uh, uh, these funds and to manage these funds. So there's also the issue of Iraqi cap- uh, capacity. Um, in addition to which, uh, despite the improved security situation, there are still some understandable fears about uh, security, particularly in recently liberated areas. And then there's also the issue of reconciliation. Naturally, uh, uh, potential donors would be uh, um, concerned that in absent uh, uh, meaningful reconciliation, that um, whatever money uh, or whatever funds are pumped into Iraq could go to to, to naught in the end uh, as a result of renewed conflict. So there is that fear as well, and it's not without its, its uh, sort of uh, basis. Yeah, I mean, uh, prior to the conference, I mean, U.S. officials, uh, like you said, have have indicated that Washington isn't planning to announce any further contributions, but is going to encourage investment from Arab uh, Arab states and the Gulf. Are we going to see an improvement in relations between Iraq and the Gulf, especially with Saudi Arabia? Um, Are we going to see that? Or is that sort of already in the making, let's say? Uh, the improvement in the relations I've already mentioned is mm-hmm. very much in the making, uh, and it's extremely, extremely good news, and it's very much welcome and a long-delayed uh, uh, step in the right direction. Now, whether this leads to sort of uh, Iraq becoming the next Singapore, I think that's where the, the room for healthy skepticism comes in. Um, even if the funding is, is forthcoming, uh, there's little reason to think that the funding will be properly distributed and adequately absorbed into Iraq. Um, the current government's uh, fight against corruption is not without its limits. There are questions as to how much of this is a public relations exercise and how much of this is actually uh, capable of, of leading to uh, structural uh, change. Um, as for, uh, to bring it back to regional powers and the United States, as you pointed out, the United States is, has made it clear that they will not be contributing. Uh, it might, I mean, on the one hand, that is quite callous given the uh, U.S. role in Iraq from 2003 at the very least till now. Um, but on the other hand, one can see the rationale for, for resisting, uh, given how much money has already been poured into Iraq to little um, good effect. Uh, there's also the, uh, as I understand it, the United States has been uh, keen on encouraging private sector investment in Iraq, so uh, sort of to wean Iraq off dependency on uh, uh, state funding, on state donors. Um, there is the hope that the private sector will step in. Again, a, bit, a lot of skepticism is warranted here, given that the obstacles to private sector investment are still there, be it the legal problems or being the, be, be it the uh, general ease of doing business. Again, corruption comes up in this regard and what have you. Um, perhaps uh, the, the improved relations with, the, uh, with Iraq's Gulf neighbors uh, will go some way towards alleviating this, but again, it's not a magic wand. However, um, to bring it back to your question, this is the, the improvement in relations is something that is ongoing and one hopes it continues. I read today that uh, Saudi Arabia is uh, opening, its, um, opening a consulate in Basra, uh, first time in I don't know how many decades. Uh, so, uh, as I said, it's, it is very much something that is ongoing, the improvement in relations. Thanks to Fanar Haddad, Renard Mansour and Juliet Tuma 
for joining us this week. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers and Emmanuel Samoglu for producing this show. You can find this and all the other national podcasts such as Extra Time and Business Extra on Apple Podcasts or the national.ae. I've been your host, Mina El-Durubi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.